Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 513 of Cold Wave Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pollock. We're now one month away from the Cold Wave Spy Festival in Chicago, September 23rd and 24th at Metro, featuring Meat Beat Manifesto, The Cox, Clock TVA, Pig, The Black Queen, Cubanate, and more. Plus, after show DJ sets featuring Black Asteroid, DHS, and Richard23. If you have not yet purchased your tickets, press pause now and head to coldwaves.net. Previous years have sold out and you do not want to be turned away at the doors. This week we're chatting with Friday Night Headliner Jack Dangers. This is Meat Beat Manifesto.
the uh, first demo tracks I did was actually in 86. And at that time, I had a project called Perennial Divide, which was um, on a label called Sweatbox. And that music was sort of similar to um, Certain Ratio, uh, 23 Skidoo, that type of sort of funk sort of thing, I suppose. I'm the worst person to describe my own uh, music. But that was the sort of things I was influenced by, you know, at that time. And, and Captain Beefheart. And uh, there was a label at uh, that time called Ron Johnson Records. And they had... Um, they had some interesting bands on there. And, uh, yeah, it was similar, similar style to that stuff. But at the same time, I was uh, doing demo tapes for this other project, which was to become uh, Meat Beat Manifesto. So the first Meat Beat record came out in uh, May sort of time of 87, I think. And at the same time, we do, I was actually working with Andy Partridge from uh, XTC on a... Uh, perennial divide 12 inch so I was sort of balancing the two things and it, the meat beat manifesto project sort of took over my time and uh, perennial divide sort of just faded into the uh, into the noise and we did a couple of shows the same year very um, very minimal shows because we didn't really have a lot of tracks to play so the the shows would last about 15 to 20 minutes we did a couple of shows in interesting places, like in cinemas, so we could use the entire screen for the visuals. So there was always a sort of visual element right from the start. And I was working with um, some dancers and um, some filmmakers and, you know, just threw the whole thing into the pot and uh, that's what came out. Uh, the first sort of real tour we did would have been in uh, 89 when uh, Storm Studio came out which was the first album and we toured around uh, Europe much to our surprise like you know it went down really well especially in uh, the Netherlands and we did uh, some festivals at that time so it was all you know it was all sort of taken off and during that time uh, Sweatbox were licensing some of their stuff to Wax Tracks Records. So by the time we came over here on the first American tour, it sort of took us by surprise that, uh, you know, there was so much interest. There was a scene going on over here. Well, there wasn't in Britain for that type of music. It sort of peaked a little bit earlier with bands like Einstein Neubarten and the Test Department, sort of 83, 84 time. And what surprised me over here was the the whole tag of uh, of calling it industrial because that to me you know was um, Robin Gristle's record label obviously, but that tag was put on to you know the test department and and Einstein uh, and Oiban particularly at that time I couldn't really see how that stuff was completely uh, in common with um, I don't know like ministry or you know, bands using guitars, right. so to speak. It was always more of an electronic thing. But, you know, we, we always dabbled with that and live drummers as well. So I suppose it just sort of fitted in better over here than it was in Britain at that time. I feel like that happened with Severed Heads also, where 
they weren't really part of that same scene, but but somehow they still got the label and they were just under that umbrella. Yeah, I remember trying to go and see them. I think it was like 85 at the ICA in London, but uh, we couldn't get in, so uh, I missed the show. But uh, a couple of the other bands, I think Hula were playing that night. That was another band who I always liked. Uh, and the whole sort of Sheffield scene, which uh, kicked off, you know, in like the late 70s with uh, bands like Cabaret Voltaire and the Human League and the Future mm-hmm. and Club DVA. Another, yeah, another thing, uh, the anti-group were the main reason I, I got in touch with Sweatbox in the first place, because I really liked what uh, what they were doing. So that's pretty cool, you know, that we're actually playing um, some shows with them. With Cot BVA anyway, but you know, I, I wasn't just uh, influenced by that, you know, that type of music. I was like, oh, also liked hip hop as well. So and not so much the first incarnation of it, but you know, when uh, Eric B and Rakim and Public Enemy came along and started altering the, you know, the the rhythms and everything, especially you know, the, the rapping was just uh, put into a different dimension of uh, what you know how. It, started originally mm. so that was a, that was a big influence as well uh, as, along with uh, a lot of the work Adrian Sherwood was doing like Mark Stewart and the Mafia uh, that was a, one of my favorite albums as a video of democracy starts to fade so if you throw all those things together you end up with uh, Meet Be Manifesto I suppose You've even gone so far as to, you know, have a jazz album and dub and techno and everything in between. So it, it seems like you, you have a not only a wide range of influence, but you, you can hear it in all the different albums as the years progress. Yeah, I suppose, you know, that could be a good or a bad thing. I'm quite surprised when people can just do the same thing over and over and do it well. And, you know, <laughs> like my influences come out left, right and center. So sometimes it's... Uh, like a record label was worst nightmare, really, because they don't know what they're going to get next time round. Whatever I'm influenced in tends to come out at some point. The perennial divide stuff, like, that was pretty jazzy. We had like uh, playing saxophones, the same as the anti-group, actually. They were pretty jazzy as well in their own way. So, you know, once again, it's all, uh, yeah, everything's been done before. So... <laughs>
Tell me about the visuals that accompany the music, because it's such an important part of the performance. Making music is completely different than doing visuals, coming up, you know, making videos. You have to um, completely separate yourself. You could have, like, a, a song for using, like, 24 tracks. You can really do that with video. You, can, you just need a couple of things at a time, or else it's just going to be too busy. At the same same time, like right now, I couldn't use my computer because it's rendering a huge thing, which I've been doing for the last eight hours. And music's not like that, so it's more instant. It's more fun, really. But um, <laughs> video is uh, it's more time-consuming. And a lot of the time is a lot of rushing and then a lot of just waiting for the stuff to render. I've got like a big banker of uh, computers and people to do it, so I have to do it all myself. But that's good. Uh, you know, I've learned a lot working with uh, Ben Stokes, who is primarily from that background. Used to, uh, he's the other guy who I'm playing with. And his, uh, he's had a project called DHS, which has been around for about as long as uh, Meat Beat. And he does a lot of uh, visuals for, for people. He just did the DJ Shadow tour, all the visuals for that. So he's my whatever partner, so um, it's you know it's good to be able to phone up him at two in two in the morning and quiz him about uh, what format it's going to be rendered out at and all that all that stuff, all the boring technical stuff which uh, goes into you know putting on a, a show. Tell me about your newest release. There's a four-track EP called Casimo Two. Yes, I've sort of known Scam off and on through the years. Did um, Remix for the Melodfrons, which came out on that label. Yeah, so, yeah, he just got in touch with me, wondered if, you know, wanted to do a release. So, uh, so I did. It's all instrumental, so it's, 
there's no huge meaningful message behind it. Um, I was thinking about the videos at the same time as doing the music. So, um, so we say Lurker. I had a uh, an old PhotoFit system, which uh, was a British invention for. Um, it's just got pictures of. It's actually uh, pictures of uh, real criminals from the 60s, and they would just use uh, their mug shots. They would take their eyes and their nose and their lips, and they'd come. It would come in a system. So, if, you know, if someone's describing someone, they would take the eyes and put them in this plate glass thing. A Canadian guy who came up with the uh, the idea, and he actually he invented a game in the uh, 1920s called Fizzogs. And I used, uh, I tracked one of those games down, and I used um, some of those pictures at the end of the video, mm-hmm. in the last in the last section. So, uh, yeah, that's the way they did it over there. Now it's all, you know, done on computers. Although in America, they still do the sketch thing by hand. That's, uh, that's still used a lot over here, where it isn't in Britain at all anymore. So, you know, yeah, it was, uh, I had the visual for the, the song, but there's no lyrics or anything in it. So uh, I just called it Lurker. Same as Nocebo, which was um, a sort of part two to Placebo, which is a track I did on Satyricon. Yeah, so yeah, some, some things I have a, a visual before I do the music and some I don't. So this is your uh, first live show in five years. What can the fans expect from the set? Well, we're being uh, we're sort of going all over the uh, three decades <laughs> of music. So there'll be some old stuff, more uh, more old stuff than new stuff. I just finished a new album. It'll be like about I don't know two tracks, maybe definitely one from it. I'm not going to put that on uh, I'm not going to make people suffer when they don't know a particular song I know like you know if there was a digital release you could do it next week right. but it's the whole vinyl thing it's a three month lead up to it but you can always you know spring out the release and then do vinyl a couple of weeks later or something like that so that's what we're sort of trying to hammer out right now all the, all, all the details so hopefully you'll have the new one out by then, but if not, it'd be out just after that. I think, we, you know, these are just the start of of doing some shows, like you said, after five years, which I'm sure we'll be doing some more like early next year, just not sure yet. But there's been um, there's some people in Europe who wants to do some stuff in Russia and just have to see how it goes. <laughs> Thank you. 
On this episode, you heard Edge of No Control Part 1, She's Unreal, and Nocebo. For more information, head to meetbeatmanifesto.com. Our opening music is Monster Zero by Acumen Nation. Our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to our show through iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app with the links found in the show notes. Join us next week as we chat with Jason Novak from Vampire Anvil. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold Waves, fallen Chicago musician, and soundman Jamie Duffy. Here's Matt Weigel with his childhood memories of Jamie. He lived right across the street from middle school, and we like hit it off like that as best friends all through high school years. I think it was spring of 88, just before the end of our freshman year of high school, and uh, at that time, paintballs and paintballing was still very new, but he found out about it. He was always kind of one of the guys that, like, out of our group of friends that found out about the cool shit that was new first. So he picked up this paintball gun, and uh, this friend of ours that we used to go cruising around town with that was a year older than us, we went driving around, and of course, you've got two 15-year-olds and a 16-year-old together with a Splatmaster paint gun and not much else to do in a small town. It's probably not a good thing. There's this one guy, he wasn't a bad guy, but for some reason we just wanted to victimize his house because he was a very annoying person. And So we made a few passes with the paint gun. Didn't hit a glass. And, you know, it's water-soluble. We knew it wasn't permanent, so it wasn't that bad. But on the third pass... We're creeping by slowly about to do another uh, shooting at this guy's house, and we see this very large woman standing outside staring at us. We realize, oh, shit, that's his mom. And she darts into her car and starts chasing us. And it becomes like a TV car chase all through our town. So we go over this big overpass. We're like, what do we do? What do we do? Throw this thing out the fucking window. So he throws the gun out the window. We pull up to this video store. She, like, skids in right behind us and starts screaming, Where is it? Where is it? Where is what? That thing you were using. I, we don't know what you're talking about. This is a Ford Granada, and I was I saw a Ford Granada pass by my house, and there's paint all over my house. And we're like, smart as No, this isn't a Ford Granada. This is a 79 Mercury Monarch. I don't know what you're talking about. Go ahead, look inside the car. She goes, like, rustling through the car playing, uh, you know, Miss Police Detective and uh, didn't find anything, of course. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot to do in that town. And that's one of, like I said, many stories with Jamie.